Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the Weekend Edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. The top political story of the week has to be the public impeachment hearings that got underway on Wednesday. That day, we heard testimony from top State Department official George Kent and the top U.S. diplomat to Ukraine, Bill Taylor. One of the new things that we learned was that one of Taylor's staff members said that they overheard President Trump on a phone call with the EU ambassador, Gordon Sondland, asking about the investigations, bringing the president closer to the Ukraine pressure campaign. For more on this story, we spoke to Alex Gangitano. She's a reporter at The Hill for what we learned during that impeachment testimony. So we heard from Bill Taylor that his member of his staff, what is a company in Gordon Saul, and he met with a Zelenki advisor, excuse me. Following that meeting, while his staff was present at the restaurant, Solon called President Trump and told him about the meetings. According to Taylor, the member of his staff could overhear Trump asking about the investigations over the phone. So that's something that clearly kind of aligns Gordon Sulin and Trump. Trump has said in the past that he barely knows Gordon Sulin, that they weren't working together in this plan. But Bill Taylor, kind of according to his aide, who he seems to trust here, that this is a phone call that happened. I think someone even asked, was the president speaking loudly on the phone enough for your aide to definitely be able to hear him correctly? And he said yes. So following the call with Trump, the member of his staff asked what Suland thought that the president thought about Ukraine. And basically, Suland said that Trump cares more about the investigations of Biden. Things that Giuliani was pressing for. Rudy Giuliani obviously figures into a lot of these things here. It's a crazy thing because the Democrats are trying to connect the dots on this quid pro quo between the president and this military aid and even the visit to the White House for President Zelensky from Ukraine. And while they can't get the president on the exact wording, there's never the direct connection Mm -hmm. between the president and all of this. This really points to kind of the pressure campaign by all of the aides, Rudy Giuliani, Gordon Sondland, all these other people. And this is where William Taylor was testifying to basically hearing all of this stuff play out. These are all the players that were involved that were making this pressure campaign. Democrats say was at the direction of the president. Exactly. And Democrats are really having him repeat if this is a normal occurrence, if this is something in his years of public service that he's seen happen at this kind of pressure campaign that Giuliani is pushing. And again, he said, no, this is not something that is normal. The GOP's lawyer kind of used interesting wording. He acknowledged that it was maybe an irregular channel um, to work with the Ukraine right. um, through this pressure campaign, but it's not outlandish. And so even just acknowledging that, yeah, this might be a little out of the ordinary, but is it an impeachable offense here? The Democratic side and the Republican side both got 45 minutes to question William Taylor and George Kent. What did you make of their styles and the substance that they got out of that? On the Democratic side, they basically laid out their whole plan and try to connect as many dots as possible. On the Republican side, they tried to focus on Hunter Biden and Burisma and why was he even there? They spent a majority of the time trying to delve into that. And I kind of felt like it wasn't very effective because William Taylor, they're not involved in any of that stuff. So the answers were very much, 
I don't know. You know, I don't know if he was qualified. I don't know if that had anything to do with it. William Taylor and George Kent have distanced themselves from the Bidens in the sense of just saying, I don't know. I don't, you know, we weren't involved with Hunter Biden's business operations with Ukraine, whereas ranking member Nunes is continuing to push them to question what's the full extent of Hunter Biden's involvement with this Ukrainian natural gas company. Of course, also the Republicans want Hunter Biden and the whistleblower to testify. And so the Democrats are continuing to shut that down. And of course, Nunes, who is considered a Trump ally, is also pushing what Democrats call these conspiracy theories out of the White House that have to do with Hunter Biden in the Ukraine. So I think President Trump is probably pretty pleased so far with what he's seen out of Nunes and Jim Jordan, who's another big player here on the panel. Jim Jordan specifically was making the argument over and over again that there is no wrongdoing in all of this for two reasons. One, the military aid that is at question here was eventually released. And the other Mm -hmm. thing was that there was no investigation done by the Ukrainians. So therefore, since the aid was released, the investigation didn't happen. There is no there there because these things didn't happen, which are the center of the Democrats argument. It's impossible for the president to have done a quid pro quo in all of this. And Jordan, who definitely important to note, isn't actually on the panel. He was placed on by minority leader Kevin McCarthy. He's kind of the... Republicans attack dog, somebody who Trump trusts to question here. So he went on to note that Taylor had met with Zelensky during the period of the time that the aid was delayed and tried to make a connection between it and the investigations. And Taylor said that it was his clear understanding that these two things were linked. And then Jordan, in kind of his attack dog nature, said that his understanding must have been wrong. We also saw Jordan accuse, I guess, might have been how Taylor took from it, of being a star witness. This is you and George Kenner, the first people that Democrats have brought out here. So you must be the star witness. You must be against Trump and pushing for impeachment. And this is something that Taylor has been really strong about saying, I'm not pushing either side here. I'm just trying to tell people what I've heard, what I've seen, and let you all make the decision. Right. After all this testimony, it does seem like the next quote unquote star witness could be the EU ambassador Gordon Sondland to kind of help clarify what things were said. And obviously that new revelation now that supposedly he was on a call with President Trump talking about the investigation. So I believe Mm -hmm. he might be coming up next week. So this is all going to be very fast moving and we'll have to keep following it just to see how the public phase of the impeachment inquiry is going. Alex Gagetano, Mm -hmm. reporter at The Hill. Thank you very much for joining us. Great. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Next, we have an interesting story coming out of Florida that might be affecting all that orange juice that you drink. The Florida citrus industry is in danger because of a disease that affects the tree roots and prevents raw green fruit from ripening, also known as citrus greening. The disease came from China and is called Huang Long Bing, which means yellow dragon sickness. The problem is so bad that 90% of the state's citrus groves are infected by the disease and the industry might only survive 10 to 15 more years. It's leaving what are called ghost groves all around the state. For more on this story, we spoke to Daryl Fears, reporter for the Washington Post, about the most feared citrus disease in the world. Well, this started in 2005, at least it was first detected in 2005, and the name is called Wang Lang Bing. It's a Chinese name meaning yellow dragon. 
disease, I believe, and it made its way through Florida through tree clippings. This disease, this bacteria, is spread through a psyllid, a small insect that feeds on the leaves of these trees. And when it feeds on these trees, it injects this bacteria into trees, and that goes to their root systems and begin destroying their root systems, and the trees cannot get nutrients. And so it's a horrible problem. And what it causes is this thing, that, and a lot of people might have heard this before, citrus greening. So since the fruit itself can't get the nutrients from the roots, the fruit either never ripens fully and it stays green, or what happens is that the tree might drop the fruit early before they have a chance to pick it. And why that's a particularly a bad problem is that in Florida, under Florida law, citrus that falls from a tree to the ground cannot be sold. So that's just a huge problem right there as well. That's all very correct. The tree, uh, I guess it's like you and me, if we can't get the nutrients we need and there's something on our body that relies on the nutrients, something that we definitely just can get rid of, we'll get rid of it, right? And I don't know if that analogy really applies to humans, but for trees, if they can't get the nutrients they need, then the tree itself will hoard the water and whatever it grabs from the earth and whatever fruit is relying on those nutrients, the tree will just let it go. One of the scientists explained that that's sort of the tree saying, not saying that the tree is thinking, but trying to relate that to us is the tree saying, hey, the fruit can grow again next year when I'm stronger. And the alarms are sounding now. I mean, this is a $9 billion citrus industry in Florida there. It's their second biggest industry behind tourism. And they're creating all of these things that people are calling ghost groves. Basically, the trees are dying out. They're not producing the fruit anymore. And it's just becoming a huge issue. You got a chance to travel to one of these groves, CB's Citrus. Tell us about your experience there. CBs, like a lot of these groves, the owners are looking at the trees, looking at the damage to the trees and seeing that they really can't go forward with this damage. More than a quarter of their grove is gone because of this disease. Some trees are dead, some trees are dying, some trees are sick. And often what happens is with citrus greening, and that means that everyone knows that when oranges are raw, they're green. So if they don't ripen to orange, then no one's going to buy them. And then if they uh, drop from the tree, as you said, they can't be sold. And the effect of this is that farmers have no revenue. Uh, they have very little revenue or they just can't make it up. And so they have to consider taking a loss. And this loss is year after year after year. The farmers rely on these oranges to sell to major companies like Florida Natural that we all know, Tropicana and Minute Maid, and they just can't sell this produce. And so some farmers have had to abandon their farms, and that results in what you talked about, these ghost groves full of dead trees, these petrified forests where the psyllids are feeding on trees and then flying to the farm across the street to feed on those trees. There are some solutions. I mean, I don't want to be too grim with this right. story. There are possibilities here. People that have been looking into this and researching it, they say that the citrus industry in Florida could be out of business within 10 to 15 years. That's still a bit of time, but it's so fast when you have to basically wait every year for the new harvest to come out. So what are some of these other solutions that they're looking into? They're trying to basically create a new orange, a new tangerine. They're trying to create new rootstocks for these trees so that these trees can tolerate this bacteria and continue to thrive so that they can produce oranges. They're also trying to make oranges in laboratories there genetically. And these aren't the type of Frankenstein genetic engineering of oranges. Right. These are natural genetic changes to oranges. 
to make them sweeter. And so what they do is they take a rootstock that is more resistant, that survived this bacteria, and from that, they graft it onto another tree so that they can develop an entire root system that is resistant to the disease. And in addition to that, they're taking oranges that are naturally sweeter and also developing roots from those. And so what you get is a more disease-tolerant tree that produces a sweeter orange or a sweeter tangerine. They think that that, over time, will be the salvation of the Florida citrus industry. Right now, two of the most popular orange varieties are the Hamlin and the Valencia. And everybody knows the Valencia orange. But soon we could have different oranges that kind of replace those that were, as you mentioned, those roots would be more tolerant to this type of disease. And hopefully we'll get the same sweetness and all of that, the same production out of those. It's such a problem. And obviously for the big people like Tropicana and Minute Maid and the growers that they grow with, they might have huge, huge acreage dedicated to this. It's more of a problem for smaller producers where some people have proposed the unthinkable to them, take out all your trees and start all over. Yes, they're telling some to take out all their trees and start over. They're telling others to just plant more trees so that they can get more oranges from their growth. Even when some die, at least they'll have more orange trees to rely on. And so they're planting more trees on more acres and is creating this bunch of trees. And some farmers have had a glut of oranges, so they have more oranges than they can sell. And some farmers just have catastrophic loss. And so right now, Florida is a big mixed bag. But as you can see from the story, a number of farmers have left the places that produce uh, oranges uh, that are edible, that people buy as a whole fruit, have dropped. And the amount of juice that Florida oranges produce has dropped. And so, you know, Florida's citrus industry is very much in flux right now. Daryl Fears, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. An interesting military and tech story that came to light this week. Soldiers in an intelligence unit with top secret clearances were ordered by their commander to download an app they say could endanger them. The soldiers were concerned that the app's permissions allowed it to collect substantial amounts of personal data, which caused concern that a hack could put individuals and missions at risk. For more on the story, we spoke to Washington Post reporter Alex Horton. These are soldiers that they have jobs in interrogation. They collect human intelligence from sources, spies and prisoners, and then they also uh, have counterintelligence missions. So they're already sort of hardwired to know how information is collected and how information can be used or leveraged. So that's always in the back of their mind, um, even when they're using their own personal smartphones. Once they started noticing that this app that was mandated by the commander had a host of permissions that could identify them and identify their work in the unit, a lot of them were very caught off guard and and worried that it could spiral out of their control and at some point land in uh, an adversary's hands. So when it came to you know where the information is, the company that developed the app with the unit, they're based in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but they do have subsidiaries in India. They told us that there is no overseas data stored from this app in India, but that didn't really assuage the concerns of the soldiers in this unit who feared that it could just spiral out of control no matter what the army or this company says. Some of the app permissions that were a little troubling were a lot of different things. So your calendar, it could add or modify calendar events. Your contacts, it could read your contacts, find accounts on your device, modify your contacts. It mm-hmm. could obviously access your GPS location. 
And then it could even do things to your storage. It could modify or delete SD card contents or read the contents of USB storage. So these are all the things that were troublesome to these soldiers. They're in this field. They know how intelligence is gathered. And, you know, any nefarious actor would love to target these types of soldiers specifically for what they know and data that they might have. For people who study this, cybersecurity experts, data breaches are a a growing national security concern because of the way information could be used now and information that could be used later. An expert at the uh, Aspen Security Center told me that there was a worry that this could be triangulated with other data. For instance, the big OPM data breach revealed a ton of people that had security clearances, and then there was a separate breach with medical information. So if you were to pair those together, you can find someone who knows a lot of secrets and might have a lot of medical debt. And that would be someone for, you know, a spy from China or Russia to approach and say, we can help you out if you give us some secrets. So that's a big concern here. You know, it's not always apparent what sensitive or classified data can be used today. But tomorrow is another question. The expert also said that if they work in the army now and another intelligence agency knows that if they were to work for the CIA one day and facial recognition software catches them somewhere in the field, they would know exactly who they are. So that's another point of concern with these folks. The commander didn't say, hey, download this one specific app. This was a contract that was done with this company, Straxis, in conjunction with the Army as well, right? And this wasn't just kind of out of nowhere that they wanted people to download this app. This is something that they've worked with this company on these types of things before. That's absolutely true. And I was in the Army, so I know how this works when they say, go download an app. And when that comes from a colonel, it's like, stamp your foot. I think you should go download this app. Turns into an order. And soldiers in the unit told me that staff sergeants and lieutenants were going around and checking their subordinates' phones to make sure that the app was installed. And they said at one point in the motor pool, they lined them up and they couldn't leave unless they showed directly to a leader that they had the app installed and then they were signed in. And that's where a lot of the soldiers separately had concerns, not just from the security aspect and how it could compromise their identity or their work, but also it raised a lot of questions about this blurring of the line of what commanders can and can't tell you to do. They can absolutely tell you, you can't use your phone on the job. You can't use your phone in formation. Put that phone away on the range at the safety aspect. But when they start to tell you what you can put on your phone and what you must put on your phone, it starts to become this discussion that sort of collides with the Fourth Amendment. What do you have the right to tell me I can do with my own phone? So that was another point of contention of was the brigade commander able to do this and should she have mandated her her soldiers to do so? What's been the word from military officials on this now that the story has gotten out? It's been interesting because they released a statement after soldiers internally were worried about it, and it was discussed on a number of online forums like Reddit and a popular Army page called Army WTF Moments. So (laughs) once the commander saw that discussion, she came back and said it wasn't mandatory, and a statement put out by the unit said the same thing. After that, they said in a statement to me that it was, in fact, mandatory, but now it is only highly encouraged for them to download this app, which at the moment has been taken off of the Apple Store and the Google Play Store. The unit said that they would be back after, quote, pre-planned maintenance, but they were pulled immediately after the outcry began online. So the timing is a little coincidental when you talk about the fallout and then the app disappearing from the store. Alex Horton, reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Oscar. Don't forget to join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. 
follow us on iHeartRadio, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this is the Daily Dive Weekend Edition.